Good morning. The passage that we're going to be discussing today is going to sound absolutely absurd in light of our modern day philosophies. Now, I know that's a big statement, but let me break down just two of the modern day proverbs that speak to that philosophy. The first one is follow your heart. This is the understanding that you have desires and all of the desires that you have are inherently good. And so it's your responsibility for you to live your authentic self, to experience your desires, to follow your heart, follow whatever dream it is. And once you do that, you will experience human flourishing. Anything that stops you or hinders you or limits your ability to follow your heart would be in this philosophy sinful. Similarly is the second modern day proverb of our day. Live your truth. Another way to say that is speak your truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There's nothing outside of those subjective truths. So as long as you don't insert yours in mine and I don't force mine upon you, that it allows you to live your way how you want, when you want, wherever you want it, then you're able to flourish as a human being. Now take that philosophy and combine it with our hyper-sexualized context where you're able to see what you want whenever you want it in a flip of, a, a flip of your phone, if you still have a flip phone, or the flip of a light switch. It's that quick that you can see whatever it is that you want to see. Or you can have any experience that you want to experience through any of the apps that will allow you to hook up or meet up with anybody that's also a consenting adult. So you have these desires in this context uh, that's hyper-sexualized with an understanding and a character of Christianity that is predominantly one of rules and regulations. It's a, for many people, the faith of Jesus is do more, try harder. Here's the rules. Here's what you're supposed to do. And so if I'm supposed to follow my heart, if I'm supposed to live my truth, but there's this other guy who lived 2,000 years ago that by a book that seems archaic and bigoted in some cases, why in the world would I want to follow that if it's going to limit or hinder the desires of my heart? So it's with that context that we enter into the passage that we're talking about where Jesus uh, gives us his picture for human flourishing when it comes to the understanding of our hearts. Jesus takes one of the Ten Commandments. He gives us a full picture to not just give us a list of do's and don'ts, but to address What's going on in our hearts? Is it good? Is it, a, is it a good thing that you should follow? And what should we do when we have that desire? So with that, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, his picture for human flourishing. He has just said that he had come to fulfill the law and that if our righteousness does not exceed that of the most righteous of the day, then we were not going to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of heaven is not just this future reality. It's a present reality here and now in our midst that will continue on forever in a one day fulfilled experience. And so he gives us six examples of how he's the fulfillment of the law and what he's expecting of his followers if they're to walk in human flourishing in his kingdom. Last week we talked about anger. And this week in the same vein, Jesus gives us this kind of same formula. He gives us one of the Ten Commandments. And this time it's about adultery. It says you shall not commit adultery. You can imagine the hearers of the time like, yeah, check that. I do not sleep with anybody else's spouse. I am good to go. But Jesus takes that and he then goes to the next level. He doesn't just stop at your actions. He then goes into the intentions of your heart. And so before we go to the intentions of the heart, before we talk about lustful intent, for a few more minutes, we're going to talk and unpack this first portion of the passage. I'm going to give you a break so that you're able to have some conversation amongst your family or journal if you're by yourself. And then we're going to look at the last portion of this text, um, verses 29 and 30, um, after that. So before we dive into that, let me back up and give some context that would have been very common for his hearers to understand about what the purpose of sex was and of covenant relationships. So the first purpose of sex that would have been common for his hearers was one, procreation. In Genesis 1, 28 says, it gives the uh, creational intention and account of telling God telling his image bearers to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. The means by that was through having children. And so procreation was the means by which image bearers would fill the earth. But it wasn't just for procreation. The second reason for sex was pleasure. When Adam sees Eve for the first time, he sees her beauty. He's in awe. Whoa, this is woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They consummate their covenant relationship. The two become one flesh. Later on in the scriptures, we have a whole book called the Songs of Solomon. Or the Songs of Songs is another way to say that. It's a poetic account of one of the kings, Solomon, marrying a Shulamite woman who is beautiful. And it's their telling of the, their story of their passionate love and experience. And, and so it's, there's a pleasure that God has given in sex for his people to be experienced in the way that he designed it. And so it's a good gift from a good dad. So it's procreation, it's pleasure, but thirdly, it's also a proclamation. It's a proclamation of his story, 
and it's a proclamation of his character. When we think of the story, we're going to think of it in the lines of the biblical narrative of a covenant marriage relationship. The Bible starts with a covenant marriage and it ends with a covenant marriage. It begins with Adam and Eve that two others will become one. They become one flesh. And it's in the confines of this covenant marriage relationship that God has given the gift of sex. And so you look at this covenant relationship. This um, is an experience between a man and a woman as they go, but it speaks beyond just them. It tells the story of what God is like. His story, the covenant continues when he draws a specific people to himself. He enters into a covenant relationship with them. They are not able to hold up to their end of the bargain. At one point, God actually says that they were adulterers because they um, were looking to someone else. They committed adultery with a foreign God as opposed to staying in relationship with him. And so because of that, God had to do something. He, he held their end of the bargain. And so the life, death, and resurrection is one person of the covenant uh, coming and to rescue and redeem and restore to bring back into that relationship. And that one day that relationship is going to be fully experienced, the Messianic feast when the new heaven and new earth and heaven is completely restored here on earth. It's going to be so good and enjoyable. And so it's a story and sex and marriage is a story of God's relationship with us, his people, the unity, the bond, the enjoyment that's meant to be had with us and God is a picture of what marriage and sex is all about. But it's also proclaiming his character, that he is triune in nature, Father, Son, Spirit, eternally existing as one. That it's a a picture of their self-giving, of their self-denial, the other orientation of the Godhead. And so now we who are in covenant relationship as image bearers are to be thinking that way. That that is the type of relationship that sex is designed to be within where it's not just about me and what I want and my desires. It's a self-giving. It's an offering of myself to the other. It's a self-denial which is not about me, it's about them, which is an other-oriented type of relationship. That's the confines in which God has designed the good gift of sex to be enjoyed. Now, think of this like fire. Fire is a good thing. It helps us cook. It helps us stay warm. It helps us create and build new things. But if you take that fire that's supposed to be confined to a fireplace and you put it into a forest without any boundaries, it's deadly. The same thing is true of sex in accordance to the scriptures. It's a good gift. It's a pleasurable thing. It's a a reflection of God's goodness given to his people. But if it's taken outside of that relationship, it can become deadly. And that is what Jesus is addressing here. 
So he says, you shall not commit adultery. They would know this. They have the understanding that they as God's people have done that to God. So don't, it's not just don't commit adultery. Jesus now takes this understanding and he goes to a whole nother level. It's not just don't have sex with somebody else's spouse. What he goes on to say is, if you look at a woman with lustful intention, he's addressing the heart. So what is lustful intention? Let me just define that for us. Lustful intention is to desire what is not yours out of the context God designed the desire to be fulfilled. Let me say that again. It's to desire what is not yours out of the context God designed the desire to be fulfilled. So let me be very, very clear. Desire itself is not wrong. Jesus gave you that desire. That's part of what it means to be human is to have desires and have, in this context, sexual desires. Those are a good gift from God. But what Jesus is addressing is taking that desire and diverting it outside of how he's designed it to be. It's going from um, that is nice or they're nice to that would be nice. It's moving beyond a recognition of beauty and it moves towards a desiring for personal gain. It's the I wish that were mine. It's no longer self-giving. It's no longer self-denial or other-oriented. It's now out of control and personal fulfillment and desire. Underneath this is the last commandment to not covet. In Exodus chapter 20, it says that you're not to covet your neighbor's, not just wife, but other things. And so it's the reality that coveting and, and lusting isn't just confined to sex. Now, Jesus is speaking directly to a, a male-dominated society. So this, uh, and, and it's, this is not just true for them, this is true for us as well. This is the experience of those people that are having lustful desires outside of God's confinement. I know this is passage and this is something that I have uh, wrestled with my whole upbringing. When I was five years old, I was uh, introduced to pornography for the first time. A friend's dad's magazine somehow got into our hands and I remember the feeling and the visual of that first experience. And that first experience fueled me and to recreate that desire and passion and fulfillment through my teenage years. Um, and in my teenage years, I would think, oh man, once I'm able to get married, then I'll be good. I, I don't have to worry about this anymore. But that was unfortunately not the case. That this, this fire that was burning in me, this desire that was misdirected, kept fueling into my adulthood. So this was a, a, a struggle for me uh, uh, through the early parts of my marriage. And so there was one night when I sensed like I woke up and felt compelled by the Spirit to confess that to Darianne. And it started a very, very deep 
healing journey for me and my heart where I got a really deep understanding of my own sinfulness. That my desires in my heart are not all good. I would have up to this point said, yeah, I'm a pretty good kid. I, I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. But it was at this point that God brought me face to face with my own sinful desires. My own broken desires. Now, desire was good. We'll talk about that in the second part. But it was misdirected. And it was looking to something that outside of what God designed for it to be fulfilled. And so it brought a healing journey for us in our relationship. It, we, we went on a journey of learning to forgive and confess and vulnerability. I, I realized that Jesus doesn't just forgive sins. He also covers our shame. Sexual sin has a tendency to be shameful. You feel dirty. You feel wrong. And what the gospel brings to light is that, no, on the cross, Jesus took on not only my guilt, but on my shame. And he now covers me with his righteousness. So that was a, a journey that I was been Because I can, I am I'm complicit. I am the one that Jesus is explicitly addressing in this passage. But... Beyond that, lustful intentions isn't just found in sexual relationships. It, it can go beyond that, as we see in the understanding of covenants in Exodus chapter 20. It's not just sex. It's their stuff. For you, your lustful intention may be manifested differently. And now, I'll, I want to say this. This type of lust is not confined to just men. According to triplexchurch.com, 33% of all um, pornographic website visits are done by women. So for, for me to say this is a man's issue would be false. Women, you may be somebody that wrestles with lustful intention and that manifests itself in the viewing of pornographic pornography. For others, it's not in that view. You may have an overly romanticized perspective of what relationships are supposed to be like. So you're, the manifestation of your lustful intention is the, the consumption of rom-coms or not romanticized, overly romanticized novels and movies and content where you are just longing for something that's outside of what God has given you in this moment. If you just had that, then you will be satisfied. That's an outworking of what Jesus is speaking of here. It could be in your vocation. You may be coveting or desiring your co-worker's salary or position and you are trying to manipulate your life and your world to be able to get your desires fulfilled. All of that are outworkings of what Jesus is addressing here. The desire to have what is not yours out of the context God designed for it to be fulfilled. To recognition that God is the giver of the good gift. God is the giver of the one and the place where you are in the moment that you are in. So it's not just for those that are married. If you're single, and we're going to talk about more implications in a minute, but it's recognizing this is the moment that God has given you. So out, taking anything outside of this context, outside of this moment that God has given you, would be doing what Jesus has um, just address about the lustful intention and it's already been done in our hearts. So let me pause. 
I'm going to release you to have a few minute conversation with those you're with, or if you're by yourself, an opportunity to journal through this. Parents, we've provided a few different questions that if your children are with you, you can engage them in this conversation uh, and bring them along with you. So let me go ahead and release you. In a few minutes, you'll hear my voice and that'll be an invitation for you to come and join again. I wanna welcome you back together. Go ahead and finish your last sentence or statement. And we're gonna close out our time looking at some of the pastoral and practical implications of following Jesus in the line of what he's been teaching about lustful intents. So let me reread verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole, that your whole body go into hell. And so what are some of the steps to which if you are wrestling with what we've been talking about this morning, how can you engage and learn to walk in the ways of Jesus as he's laid out? So the first thing I want to say is we need to understand the seriousness of this. We need to understand that Jesus takes this very seriously. Is he instructing you to literally take out your eye and cut off your hand? No, I don't believe that's what's happening. I believe that this is a hyperbolic statement for us to truly understand the magnitude at which Jesus understands sin. We read elsewhere in the scripture, the wages of sin is death. And so we, it makes sense that in this passage, Jesus is saying, it's better that you cut something off than to be thrown into hell. This is the understanding, hell specifically, of eternal punishment. This is an act of rebellion against God, a holy God. And so thankfully, by God's grace in Christ, we are forgiven. But we need to see the significance and the magnitude of what Jesus understands this to be. This limits your and my flourishing. This gets in the way of us being fully human in his kingdom. So Jesus understands it seriously. This gives us a sense of urgency. Notice in the, in the Greek, the cut off and throw it away. Those are like urgent words. Do it now quickly. And so there's a sense of urgency and seriousness that Jesus is addressing. So this isn't a, let's wait for a while. Let's, let's address this now. Secondly, we need to go after the cause. We need to go after the cause. Now, in order to go after the cause, we need to address the action itself. Uh, there's an, uh, if you think of this like a boulder going down a hill, you get yourself in a place where if that boulder is going down the hill, it's not going to be easily stopped. It's going to take a magnificent amount of force to stop a boulder that you're not capable of doing. And so instead of trying to stop the boulder when it's already going downhill, the, the wise way to understand this is before the boulder starts going down and it's starting to get shaky, find out what's making it shaky in the first place. 
what are the things that trigger your heart to looking to those ways of fulfilling yourself? Are you tired and you find yourself tired and that's the way that you go to? Are you alone? Are you, um, do you just exert a lot of energy? Are you angsty? Angsty. Whatever it may be, did you just have a fight or a, a disagreement with a coworker or your spouse? Are you feeling something? Whatever that is, what this is saying, if we're going to go after the cause of our heart, if we're going to make sure that that boulder doesn't go down the hill, we need to be able to recognize when it starts getting shaky and the, the times and opportunities when it starts to go further down so that we can stop it before it starts going. So we need to remove ourselves from the situation. If your phone is a problem, get rid of your phone. If it's a specific app, get rid of that app. Whatever it is, to remove yourself over a period of time to create a new habit so that you can actually address what's going on underneath. So the um, going after the cause, this is where Jesus is saying, if it's the your hand, take it off. If it's your right eye. He's not saying it is your right eye. It is your right hand. Whatever is the cause, whatever is starting to cause the boulder to shake a little bit, we need to understand what those are, learn those, and know like, okay, I'm, I'm tired. I know I had one of those days. I I'm, I'm know that I'm going to be tempted in this way and to create healthy safeguards to ensure that you don't continue in that. All of that is to remove yourself enough so that you can do step three. Get at what is the desire under the desire? What is the desire under the desire? This is what I mean by that. That on the surface desire is lived out in the lustful intent that Jesus is saying. But underneath that is a good God-given desire and longing that's looking to be fulfilled. So instead of thinking, stop feeling that, it's like, no, 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 pause. The way in which you're living out that desire is the problem that Jesus is addressing. The fire is not the issue. It's the fire outside of the fireplace. What we want to do is learn about what is it that my heart is really desiring and longing for? Is it intimacy? Is it to be known? Is it to find rest? Is it to be fulfilled? There's something happening underneath the sinful intents. That, and that underneath is a God-given good thing. Your desire for a spouse, your desire for sexual intimacy and sexual fulfillment is a good God-given thing. Now, it's outworking is a problem, but what is happening underneath and to be able to identify what those things are. And that leads us to the next thing is asking the question, how does God want to satisfy that? How does God want to satisfy that desire? All those desires, as I've just been saying, are, are the good desires. Now, they're, they're working themselves out in sinful, rebellious, unhealthy, unflourishing ways. So what does it look like if God were to provide an answer for that desire in this moment? For me, when I was going through my learnings, 
um, I had to realize that my heart was longing for satisfaction. It wasn't the action. It wasn't the viewing. That was just the surface stuff. That wasn't the problem. It was what was underneath. The, my desires were met. Were I felt unmet. I wanted satisfaction, and I had to realize that God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. He's given me good gifts, that he himself is the bread of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the one that gives us joy and fulfillment. So I needed to gospel myself in that moment as I separated myself enough to be able to say, I I needed Jesus in that. And he's given me good gifts that I can be thankful for. Now, this isn't just the outworking of those desires. This is like I mentioned, this is the desire itself. So what is that desires that you're looking for and how's Jesus fulfilling them? You may be single and if the confines of sexual relationship is a man and a woman, and that's that desire for intimacy and oneness will not be experienced that way in this time. And remember, that was Jesus. Jesus had these desires. He was fully man. And he was without sin. He was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And so Jesus found the fulfillments of these desires in non-sinful ways in his whole life. And now we've been given the same spirit to walk in his ways. And so by empowered by the spirit and walking by the spirit, how can we walk in his ways with him? You may be looking for intimacy and that's going to lead you to vulnerability with your community, to being open and honest. You may just be realizing that this is covering uh, and re- fulfilling and seeing a ton of shame in your life. And this is where you need vulnerability to speak this out to people, share it, where it can be received in a loving community that understands that the gospel of Jesus is so profound that it covers all of our guilt, it covers all of our shame, and it forgives magnificently beyond what we can imagine. And we can be a community of people that experiences that and expresses it to one another. So where is it that God wants you to have that satisfied right now. And lastly, all of this points to what I'll call learn contentness, contentness, to be content in all things. Paul says it that that very way that he had to learn to be content in all situations with plenty or in lacking. And this is the practice of thankfulness, to recognize the good gifts that God has given. I've noticed in my life when I'm when I found myself looking elsewhere, not whether it's in in the sexual intentions or, or if it's because I I feel like something's missing, it's because I haven't been realizing what God has given me in that moment, the thankfulness of the good gifts and the good people and the good relationships that are in my life, and that I can learn to be content. So even if I have desires that are not fulfilled in the ways that I want, I can be content with what God has given me. That this, These are the gifts right now that I have. I don't have things that are outside of this. I don't have other ways of which this is what God has given. And so how can you learn contentment is to be thankful. 
to notice what you have, to express thanks to God that he's a giver of those good things. And those are the things in which he's given you to experience the fulfillment of those desires. Now we know in all this, there's an already and not yetness to this kingdom. We know that already God's kingdom is here and at hand, but we also know it's a not yet. We know that the fulfillment of this is not going to be experienced, that we will for our days until Jesus returns continue to wrestle with sinfulness, continue to wrestle with the guilt and the shame and the, and the lustful intents of whatever the outworking of it is for you. But because of the gospel of Jesus, because of his life, that's perfectly live in submission to the Father. That Jesus was tempted in every way as you and I are, yet was without sin. He had those desires, but he never looked intent, uh, lustfully intense as another person. That in his death, he took on that penalty of me doing that very thing. He took on my guilt. He took on my shame. And he bore it on the cross. And when he came off the cross, my guilt and shame stayed on the cross. And then he rose again victorious over it, now giving me his spirit so I can walk in his ways and, be, and live out the life of flourishing. I and you cannot do this on our own. We can't follow our heart because our heart is deceitful. We can't just live our truth because the truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can't look elsewhere beyond him because he is the satisfaction that our hearts are longing for. And so as we learn this contentment, being content, as we learn the beauty of the gospel, that is what fuels all of this. We don't do this so we earn God's love. We do this because we have God's love. We don't do this to become guiltless. We do this because in Jesus, he has made us guiltless and we live out of that. We don't do this to cover our shame. We, we live out what Jesus commanded because he's already taken our shame on the cross and dealt with it. And now shamelessly, I can live in light of what he's calling me to. So let me pray as we go to the table as a reminder of his body and his blood broken for you and his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. If you're experiencing that guilt and shame, remember the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for you. If you have yet to place your faith in Jesus, if you still believe that following your heart or speaking your truth is the way to flourishing, let me, let me submit to you and urge you to realize that Jesus is better than those things. That he is the fulfillment of what you're longing. The gospel story is what your heart and my heart longs for. And by placing your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can have actual, true, fulfilled human flourishing. So let me pray for all of us and then I'll send you to the table. Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. That in this life, you, Jesus, were fully human. You were tempted in every way we were, yet without sin. You were tempted with lustful intentions. And yet you perfectly obeyed the Father. You knew that your heart was fulfilled in Him alone. And that you took on the penalty of our sin. You took on our shame. 
You nailed it to the cross and you rose again three days later, victorious over all of it. Now you're empowering us with your spirit to walk in your ways. We cannot do this apart from you. We need you to walk through these steps. We need you to reveal in our hearts what's causing us to look elsewhere. What, not, what are the causes to find out what are the actual things that will satisfy us the way you have created so Jesus, we thank you, we worship you, and we go to the table to remember your life, your death, and resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.